Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt? What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with a thousand horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From the Ringer Podcast Network, listen to Gamblers Season 2 on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Larry Wilmore. You are listening to Black on the Air. Happy New Year to you guys. Hope you're starting off good 2023. Can you believe it? Man. What happened to 2022? <laughs> Good riddance, 2022, by the way. These past few years, I don't know. It's just been so bizarre. Who knows what these whole, the whole 2020s are going to be. But let's hope all of our 2023s are better than 22, 21, and 20. Um, so, yeah, we have a, a good show today, starting off the new year with uh, Mina Kimes, who's an ESPN analyst. We're going to talk a little bit about the Demar Hamlin situation, a little bit about her career. It's real sad earlier this week. Those of you that follow sports know what I'm talking about. The Buffalo Bills player who uh, he just collapsed on the field last week and went into cardiac arrest. Really scary. And uh, I think his heart stopped twice, both on the field and at the hospital. But, you know, Everybody's been on pins and needles uh, worrying about this kid, but it seems like he's doing better, which is really, really good. So I'm going to talk to Mina about that a little bit, the coverage of that, state of the NFL, what's going on. Starting off 2023, talking a little bit about sports and that kind of thing. So I hope you enjoy it. I think it's a good conversation. But as always this year, um, I will endeavor to bring you some good conversations with people from film, TV, culture, sports, books, all kinds of things. And as always, I love hearing your guys' uh, recommendations for guests that you want to uh, you want me to sit down with and all that kind of stuff. I'm trying to plan some cool stuff for this year. I'm trying to, you know, do some different things with the pod, that kind of thing. One thing that I really want to do um, is more live events. Um, so far, the live events I've done are through LA Live Talks, which they're a great group and they, they, uh, usually ask me to, uh, you know, come, uh, pitch, pinch hit for them or whatever it is. Um, sometimes for certain people and I always have so much fun and I've really, uh, have interviewed a lot of uh, different types of people in that format, but 
every time I do it, I go, why am I not doing more in live events? And if it's something you guys want to see too, let me know. And who knows, maybe I'll travel with that too. That's something I've wanted to do is uh, maybe pop up in different cities. So if you're somewhere other than LA out in the country, let me know if you want me to come to your town and uh, talk to somebody in the pod. doesn't have to be like somebody famous. It could be somebody who's doing something interesting in your town that you think deserves, uh, you know, to be heard from. That'd be great. I would love to do that. So would love to hear from you. Like I said, even though I'm real, you know, very busy doing a lot of TV stuff, a lot of producing these days, a lot of producing. Uh, Reasonable Doubt is my show on Hulu that I've been producing, Carrie Washington, and we're crossing our fingers for that second season. For those of you that are fans, I hope you enjoyed that. That's been such a fun show, and uh, we're hoping to get that pretty soon. But I have some other stuff that's uh, coming out on TV that I'm very excited about to share with you guys, and it should all be happening uh, pretty soon. There's several of them, too, which is kind of fun, you know. So I've been working away, <laughs> working away in the dark, as they say, doing that kind of thing. Um it's funny how showbiz works. People feel if you're not on camera that you're really not doing anything, but I'm the opposite. I actually get more done when I'm not on camera because, you know, the whole writing producing thing. And, you know, I really enjoy it. But having said that, I do love appearing on camera and popping up now and then. And, you know, a couple of the projects I'm working on is going to feature your boy uh, in front of that camera a lot more. I apologize. I know I shouldn't be talking uh, like that. But anyhow, um, so not a big weigh-in. I don't have much to say this week. You know, you guys in politics following that Kevin McCarthy thing, he finally uh, became speaker. We knew that was going to happen, but that was hilarious. What did he go, like 56 times or something? Oh, my God. The Republicans are such a mess. They are completely a mess. Look, the Democrats, I talked about how much of a mess they were in a couple of years ago. You know, you get Biden as president, you know, coming in to rescue America, right? And then what did the Democrats do? The first thing they do is they fight against each other and not get stuff passed. And they had all the votes. Ah! You know, that was so frustrating. But now here are the Republicans coming in to obstruct, right? Barely getting in. And didn't get control of the Senate like they thought they were. So they're kind of limping anyway. But here they have the chance to, you know, do whatever they want to do in Congress. And the first thing they do is fight amongst themselves. It's so amazing. And it's all that Trumpy stuff, too, you guys. All the Trumpy stuff, which, you know, and the horse race that I like, the thing that makes me interested in all this, it's not so much, you know, House Speaker and all that stuff, majority. Some of that stuff is interesting. Some of it's kind of just political nerdiness. I, you know me, I like the horse race. What's going to happen in the next big election? Like, is Biden going to run for sure? Really? If he's not, who's it going to be? You know, if you guys watched the uh, McCarthy thing last night, Hakeem Jeffries, I think, of the Democratic Party, (laughs) that motherfucker, he threw his hat into the ring (laughs) saying, this is my Obama 2004 speech, you guys. I will be running for president. You can believe it. Bank on it, you guys. Hakeem Jeffries will be running for president. That was a speech meant... uh, for a wide listening, I think uh, he gave a speech where he was, he was, I thought he was introducing Kevin McCarthy and he spoke for like 20 minutes. <laughs> he made his speech for 20 minutes and then introduced him. Oh yeah. Right. I got to bring this nigga up. Sorry, man. Sorry, man. Um, um, here goes Kevin McCarthy. Y'all. 
Anyway. Um, but a lot of people uh, responded to that speech, but we'll see. We'll see. I think it would be very interesting. So as we watch my, you know, political people out there that, you know, follow these things, as we watch this year, remember this year is to all set up next year. Who Who's going to be the horses? Is Trump going to come back? Are the Trumpies really going to take over? Are the Republicans just destroying themselves? You know, right in front of us (laughs) and will the democrats be able to take yes for an answer let's find out um my guilty pleasure right now besides you know all the work that i have to do my guilty pleasure i have to tell you guys and i don't know if you're following it is all the harry and megan royal stuff i can't get enough of that (laughs) it is it's definitely a guilty pleasure i have to say when it first started happening and well, I shouldn't say it was only then. It's still today. I had a lot of compassion for Megan. She, Megan Markle, was on my show on the Nightly Show. She was very nice, by the way. This was this was before she met Harry. And so, you know, I followed it with a bit of interest. I know some people that that know her. I don't know Megan except for when she was on my show. And I thought it was very significant. You know, she was going to be a part of the royal family. But you know, when all of this drama started happening, oh God, it was just so bizarre. And after a while, you don't know what to believe. You know. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, I'm just not sure about the Harry of it all. I'm just not sure. I think, you know, there's a lot of drama going on, you guys. And I don't think Harry always helps the cause when he's talking about things. I say this because he has this book coming out where he's spilling all this royal tea, apparently. Um, I think it was from me watching The Crown, which The Crown is a great show. I started getting into this royal stuff and the Harry and Meghan stuff happened. I was like, oh man, I can't get enough of this. But Harry's an interesting figure because I think he's, you know, of course the tragic thing that happened with his mom, he and William, of course that was horrible. But there's some weird stuff going on with him and his brother too um, that I think is playing out in the middle of all this. So I'm not going to make fun of him right now. I will at some point or whatever, but it'll be interesting to see this book. I don't know if you guys are going to read it. If you do, we can talk about that because I'll probably find a copy of it or something and to see all the tea that he's spilling and what's going to happen to them. Are they going to stay in Santa Barbara? I don't know. You know, um, I would have liked it if they could have stayed there because I thought it was significant that you had a black woman who was part of the Royals now, you know, as opposed to, you know, they're all, exiled and everything, you know. I mean, that would have been the joke I would have made. Wait, yeah, if she gives the royal family, they're kicking those motherfuckers out. <laughs> you know, I would have made that joke. <laughs> ah! So it pains me that they're not a part of it because I think it's just better to be in there doing whatever, you know. But who knows? Who am I to say? It's all stuff. At the end of the day, there's a lot of people who have more concerns in the world than what these concerns and all this fighting that the royals have, right? Right. But that doesn't mean that you and I are not going to discuss it and laugh about it and talk about it because we will. So that book's coming out this week. I'm going to find a copy of it. Uh, Maybe we'll, this is how we start the Black in the Air book club. (laughs) We'll read the Harry book. (laughs) Ah, Talk about it. Because guys, there's some crazy stuff in there. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. I need to see more context before I can make my jokes. But my jokes are waiting, believe me. Um, so that's it. Um, that's your task for this week. Keep your eyes open for that. 
Um, looks like our government's going to be running um, or whatever the equivalent or the simulation of running actually is or represents. So that's a good thing too. Happy New Year, guys. I'll be right back with my conversation with Mina Kimes. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Joining me today is... One of the brightest stars on your sport channel networks out there, guys. I really see her. She's uh, one of the analysts on ESPN. Um, I think one of the best sports shows on TV, NFL Live, if you guys aren't watching it. It's really, really good. We'll talk about that a little later. But she has her own pod, The Mina Kimes Show, featuring Lenny, her doggy, on the show. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Black on the Air, Mina Kimes. Mina, nice to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm very excited. Um, you know, I've wanted to have you on the show a long time. It's tough with some people because you go, well, it's nice if you have something other to talk about. That's a little <laughs> thing because they talk all day. They don't want to go somewhere and keep talking, you know, that type of thing. So, but this was a, a really, uh, you know, I'll say special week with uh, um, DeMar Hamlin, of course, uh, the Buffalo Bills and what happened. And I thought, man, who other than Mina Kimes, who I think is, you're doing such great work on TV right now to have you on and maybe talk about it a little bit. Well, let's just start with this. We're recording this, I'll say, on Friday, January 6th, and he seems to be recovering nicely right now. What's the latest you, you've heard about him? Yeah, a lot of positive news today um, from DeMar's doctor's family, the mm-hmm. Bills, saying that he's breathing on his own. He is talking. He communicated oh, with the team. So. The vibe around the NFL, this story, is very different today from even two days ago. Mm. Yeah, there was really a a morose vibe uh, everywhere. Um, It's hard not to think the worst. What was your feeling when you first... Were you watching the game live? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. Cause you can, I can look at my notes and they're like, mm-hmm. I think my last note was something about, I don't know, Joe Burrow versus the blitz or something, something like, you mm-hmm. know, football right. related. Sure. And all of a sudden that they just stop. And mm. I being someone who covers football for a living, have seen a lot of pretty horrible injuries. Mm-hmm. And I sure. think, and I, I, I'm sure that this is not a uncommon opinion, the signal that to me that something was not normal was when they came back from break and they showed the Bills players and the faces yeah. of Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, mm-hmm. Tredavious White. I had never seen those facial expressions mm-hmm. on, the, on NFL players who are so good at compartmentalizing, you know. And they and they've seen their players go down. They know just be cool, let it play out. Yeah, we're gonna continue the game. I, I, I right. my first thought was that this game will continue. And then as time mm-hmm. went by and it became clear that it was not like a normal injury and that it was, mm-hmm. there was nothing normal about the situation. Um, it pivoted from this game continued to, there's just absolutely no way the NFL is the NFL actually going to do that. Are they making the players warm up all these questions about what was happening in the situation? So yeah, it, I mean, I've never seen anything like it in football. I don't, I hope I never do again. Yeah. I didn't see it live. I was at an event and then I saw some alerts on my phone. So I turned on the radio on the way home and then saw it on TV. And And what struck me is once you know someone's getting CPR, like that's yeah. when people start uh, 
you know, changing everything. I think what's it, what's interesting about this whole thing, I mean, especially this week, is that I feel this has affected people on a level I haven't seen in a long time for a sports injury. And, and I wonder if there's anything else at play here. And it could be that most of the time we have these physical injuries, but, you know, we've dealt with a lot of concussions this year and there's, there's more neurological injuries. It seems like that. I think people don't know how to handle that type of things a little different. Do you think this is hitting people a little differently? Well, of course we didn't know what was going to happen to them, of course, too. I think people, thought I might've just seen a man die on live TV. Mm -hmm. And that also comes with an element of guilt because Mm. I just saw a man, but you know, I think a lot of people thought I just saw this happen for my entertainment. Wow. And that is very, I think that's what, you know, it it was a catalyst for a lot Mm. of emotions, not just fear and concern, but also Mm -hmm. self-examination questioning. I'm watching this sport and which it's, it's kind of, you know, like you said that we see terrible neurological injuries and also very scary hits all the time. I think that one people are a little bit inured to those because they've happened so often, often the consequences of those aren't ones that are obvious in the short term, but you know, you usually, there's never the feeling, well, he just, usually the guy's carted off, the thumb comes up, doesn't undermine the severity of the injury at all. But I think there was a sense that people felt like they had seen something that they had never seen before. When you said for your entertainment, you know, that really uh, kind of struck me. Do you think, I saw a lot of people were kind of angry in real time at the NFL for even considering starting the game. Do you think that a sense of guilt was kind of going through people? I think so. I think... Mm -hmm there's people want to see something like that and feel like it's a one-off. And Mm -hmm. in some ways it was, I think there's a, we're still waiting to hear about the cause of cardiac arrest. We saw him get struck. Right. But there, there's Mm -hmm. this kind of sense that this is a really unusual incident, but it's an incredibly dangerous game. Uh, It's incredibly like that risk is inherent in every play. And it's hard to reconcile that with fandom and also enjoying the violence of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think, you know, processing that it's, it's different from watching a horrible thing happen to someone and, you know, having this unambiguous feeling of like, well, that's, you know, horrible. And that's that there's a villain and a crime or it's war or whatever. This is complicated for people because you're watching a horrible thing happen and you're having to reconcile that in your mind with the fact that it's baked into this thing that we all enjoy. Mm -hmm. Do you think the NFL um, handled it well? You know, there's a lot of, there's still kind of conflicting information about the exact moment because during the broadcast, Joe Buck talked about how he was like, well, the players have been told they have five minutes to get back on the field, which struck everyone immediately as being very, you know, short sighted. Kind of callous, yeah. NFL's denied that, that they said that. Truth's probably somewhere, I mean, it was so chaotic and that is the normal procedure. Probably somebody communicated that to some players and then better minds prevailed. I do think that the fact that they canceled the game, that they made the decision not to play it, um, is something that the NFL did do well. And I'll say this, like listening to coaches around the league talk about being concerned about the mental health of their players, having to watch that and then go back to playing the sport this weekend. It's very different from how coaches talked 10, 20 years ago. And it does Mm. feel like the league has evolved in some ways. Like they're more uh, attuned to taking that into consideration, the mental health. Is that what you mean? I think so. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. like in a real way. Yeah. Do you think because of 
a lot of the things like even people like in other sports, like Naomi Osaki, you know, who's talked, use those words, mental health and things like that. We're just living in that time where it's something that we really can't ignore anymore. I think so. And I think, um, there it's become normalized in -hmm. a way, uh, especially over the last few years. Um, you know, when I've seen people say, well, how could they not just play this game or, you know, this should affect the playoff seat or whatever. Just when people have wanted to sort of disregard that aspect of it, it feels like that's the minority opinion here, which is different. I don't know. It feels like the concern about not just Amar Hamlin, but the players, it feels a little bit on the part of the NFL fandom coaches, all of it. It feels like we've gotten better about that. There's definitely been a shift. Um, It's funny how those shifts happen too. I'm always fascinated by those sociological things, how groups decide we're going to be different now, you know, Uh, especially rabid fans, you know, Um, those like somebody gets hit real hard. Everybody's cheering, but as soon as they're hurt, everybody's sad, you know, but uh, I, I find it that for the most part, people seem to be united in the outpouring of love for them. It's just crazy. It's also, I find it great that you learn about these players you probably wouldn't know that much about too, which is one of the the good things about it. Like the whole uh, fun that he had set up, you know, for kids' toys and things like that, which I thought was great. Yeah, it it, it did feel very unifying and you see the support for the player in this incident. But then, I don't know, my colleague Donnie Foxworth we did a podcast the day after and he, he's a former, he used to run the players union mm-hmm. from the player side right. of things. And he took it. And I thought this is really um, astute of him to, well, you know, it, there's a horrible incidents like this in the NFL all the time. And the players are not quite cared for in the way that we would hope, you know, you get five years of healthcare after playing Tamar Hamlin wouldn't have been vested. He might be eligible for disability, but sometimes players have trouble getting paid out on that. And Larry, I posted that clip on social media and it was incredible. At the same time that there was this like outpouring of support for this young man and his family and his health. Um, the comments I got were so there, I mean, it was mixed, but there was a lot of, well, you know, I don't have like, we're not, we don't all have, crazy healthcare. And these are millionaires. And it was just like, there was, I found kind of an inability in the minds of some people to draw that connection between Mm -hmm. what we just saw that happened to him could happen to any of these guys, which is Mm -hmm. why the players, the union, they fight for better healthcare, better pay. That's right. So if you want to help him consider helping or, you know, throwing your support or, siding with players generally, because this is, this is, this risk is what the reason why those protections should exist. But I found that that was still a disconnect for people. Some people. Yeah. I think people have an unrealistic view of a professional sports, especially football, where football players don't make as much as other players generally. You like, especially, I mean, baseball and basketball are way out of control in terms of how much players. Exactly. The fact that money isn't guaranteed, makes the injury part of it even more pernicious in my mind. You know, uh, there's so much at risk. Your whole career can be gone in just a second. So I agree with you. Those things are very important. And players, they're not, they're really not making as much as people think. You know, the 
the high profile players are, but yeah. most of the players really aren't. When you factor it in, you'll play five, six years, maybe if you're in five, six years is a good career, More right? Than most. Yeah. That's a good career. Right. So let's say you got a million dollars a year, <laughs> you know, when you average it out, your average player, that's $5 million. You have the rest of your life to live, you know? Yeah. It's a very short window to earn money. It's a very dangerous profession. And yeah, I mean, what this, this is kind of society writ large, right? It's hard to, it's easy to focus on the specific, but it's harder to think more globally about, um, risk and, Mm -hmm. you know, how, what's best for people, what's actually helps people. And I think that you're kind of seeing that here. Well, where is football now? Cause I, I'm an unabashed football lover, you know, um, my my dad played college football. He played, I think he played a little semi-pro. I loved football growing up. You know, I'm a Rams fan. I ain't mad at the Seahawks, you know. <laughs> and I love I love that you call the Rams game, so it's all good here. But uh I know there are risks in football, but the thing that we saw, of course, is rare, you know. But how is football changing in people's minds? Like, are we seeing a shift in football acceptance, do you think? I, I think the risk that we just saw with what happened to Demar Hamlin pales in comparison to the risk of traumatic brain injuries, which persists. And, you know, that is widespread and, and um, it, it doesn't affect everyone. I want to be clear, you know, it's not, um, I think sometimes the numbers around it, they're, they're very murky and, but it is uh, still a persistent problem in football. And I think it like, as a fandom, we have gotten inured to that um, when, Vincent Jackson was found dead. Gosh, was it, I think it was last year. And we're talking about a really great NFL player. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you kind of saw a flash of CTE back in the headlines. Mm-hmm. It was just a flash. Like people yeah. didn't talk about it. Uh, an NFL cornerback, I believe his name was Philip Adams, shot some mm-hmm. people and also was, um, again, CTE in the head. But it, it was very brief. And I feel like, we've sort of reached a point where after the, the big reckoning that the league had with concussions in like 2010 ish, um, there was sort of this feeling amongst fans. Okay. Well now players know what they're getting into and they've accepted that risk. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I think there's some veracity in that, but it doesn't mean that it's still not incredibly dangerous and there's not still, you know, major, major consequences for a lot of these players. Yeah. What was the player? Uh, was it Junior Seau? Was that who yeah. it was? Uh, yeah. Uh, that was tragic. He was such a likable guy. And uh, it pointed out to how much depression, even without CTE, you know, uh, players, when they leave the game, that sense of that grand stage being lost and whatever issues they had, even going into being a player, are on display. That's why, you know, healthcare, mental healthcare, and those things are so important in the game as well, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you hear all the time about football players and the challenges afterwards. And um, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a there's a lot of problematic aspects. There's a lot of wonderful aspects. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're seeing that on display a little bit, too, right now. But um, it does. I, I always get asked about this. Like, do you feel conflicted covering football? And it's never an easy answer sure. for all the th- reasons we're discussing. Do you think is there a realistic way to make the game safer. I mean, they've tried to protect the quarterback more, it seems like. 
or is is this just a, f- a fool's errand? Yeah. Well, this <laughs> actually came to a head this season when we were talking about Tua Tagovailoa and his multiple concussions and whether yes, or not they were absolutely. diagnosed in the moment. And then, he, right. I mean, multiple concussions in a season is incredibly dangerous. Um, so we'll see what happens mm-hmm. with his career. But it was the first time I remember that. And you can't rely on the player to tell you the uh, truth about how they feel either. Or to diagnose the concussion on the spot. There's no test right. for it. So yes, the players have been very open about the fact, especially retired players, that they can cheat the tests and get around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, yeah, it's just, um, it's not something you can diagnose on the spot. Um, so that was, a, I, th- I think like the first time I, I think in a few years really where that was being talked about with the NFL, but to your question, you know, I think there are steps, um, and some of it is rules changes. Some of it is technology. Some of it is better science, but none of that has, you know, totally made the game, uh, concussion proof for, you know, I think with regards to the brain injuries. And I, I mean, I think the, probably the biggest step is not even so much the technology, but I just acknowledging it when it happens and talking about it, um, which is probably mm-hmm. the starkest change from, you know, a decade ago plus. Yeah, because, I mean, the whole premise of football is you tackle somebody. I mean, (laughs) just built into what it actually is, you're colliding with somebody. So it's kind of hard to completely protect people in that in that sense. Yeah, it is built into the game, as you said. Yeah, but um, it is different. I mean, when you when you when you watch highlights from. 80s, 90s, you know, it does look different and it feels different. I mean, there there, there are yeah. certain hits you just don't see anymore. No, and the, the game absolutely. has changed in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is all relative because people have recency bias. You know, they don't remember that when they're watching yeah. right now. But you watch the Raiders from like the late 70s, like, Jesus, Lester Hayes, Jesus Christ, how did he get away with yeah. that? Yeah, even like... I don't know, the mid 2000s, the way the safety position was played, the way some linebackers yeah. played, you just don't see in the NFL anymore. Yeah. It seems that they have that targeting rule, which I think is a good rule too. Is that is that both college and pro or is that just a college uh, rule? You can get kicked out of an NFL game mm-hmm. for an egregious hit if you lead with your helmet um so so targeting is just is leading with your helmet right yeah essentially and hit, hitting them helmet first yeah gets the kind of the pose of the player right and and mm-hmm. which is you know again i, I think you let me, i actually recently saw it uh derwin james just got kicked out of an nfl game uh the safety for the los angeles chargers for doing this and when they played it you know i mean the team wasn't happy but i think all of the officiating experts agreed that it was pretty textbook. Well, and also it's dangerous for the person doing the targeting as well. Yes. Yeah. He was concussed as well yeah. in the process. So, so it is, it's changed the way, I mean, it really starts at the high school and college levels, yeah. but it, you, you change the way players tackle and play mm-hmm. and then it kind of filters up. Uh, do you ever see a football where it turns into flag football? I mean, do you ever see something like that happening? I mean, it's, I'm not even joking around. I'm like yeah. 10 years from now. People, remember when they used to tackle? I mean, people say that all the time about the rules intended to protect the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to see, you know, a million angry people check Twitter after a roughing the passer is called right. on any given moment and you'll see, you know, 15 yards playing football, you know, yeah. uh, is like a classic refrain. And that one, you know, I think some of it is, has, it stems from a desire for player safety. I think also some of it, those, there's like a business imperative Absolutely. on the part of the NFL right. to protect quarterbacks because 
nobody wants to watch. I mean, back up like this, you know, we're going to watch Jets Dolphins is a meaningful game this weekend. It's going to be Skylar Thompson. Who's the third string quarterback for the Dolphins playing Joe Flacco. Who's the third string quarterback for the Jets. That's not a good. So I, while I understand people's dissatisfaction with some of the roughing calls, I also kind of get why the NFL did it. I mean, there could be a scenario where they make players like quarterback and kicker and give them flags and everybody else, everybody else gets tackled. I mean, that could possibly happen. You know, I, it, it is hard to imagine what football is going to look like in 20, 30 years. Do you, right? do you think it'll be around um, in 20, 30 years or are we seeing like, this is the last 10 years of football? I, I think it will just purely because when you check, I think like the, of the 50 most watched telecasts every year, 47 are NFL games. I mean, it is, you work in TV, you know, TV, like linear TV is, looks like the, I mean, it's podcast sorry is going down. Live football continues to go out. It is like unstoppable entertainment. Um, so, you know, even though there are some broader trends that like, for example, you know, youth participation, Mm -hmm. Um, youth participation being somewhat bifurcated by class now is I think a real trend as well. I still don't think, um, so I guess you could say, well, in the long term, when the pool of players decline, but I, I I really don't Mm -hmm. think that's going to slow the game materially in the near future because it's just too damn popular. I always say it's tough to tell because I look at, uh, professional boxing. There's nothing bigger than boxing, you know, back in the day and in, Five to 10 years, it just almost went away, you know? You know, I think that that gets brought up a lot with regards to the future of football, but I think there are um, certain things. So boxing, you know, is popular, but you also saw it had more competition, frankly, right? Because when you're talking about kind of like a niche sport or a smaller sport, Mm -hmm. um, they're competing for limited eyeballs. Football is so dominant it's not like people say, well, I'm going to use my time and take it to basketball and, you know, in any meaningful way. Um, and then there's also been all this, so much of a cottage industry built around the sport, like fantasy football, mm-hmm. gambling that will also serve to bolster it from a business perspective. Um, to me, all of this for better or worse, probably outweighs, um, some of the, trends that you see, you know, maybe like I was talking about with that participation, because it's just too pop. It's just too big commercially. It's too big to fail. Yeah. Pretty much. Not that I want it to, like I said, I love football. I I hope they find a way to make those, you know, it's safer and that type of thing. Cause you know, it is an exciting sport. It is. um, I, I think it's still America's sport. Don't you think so? Football is, it's gotta be up there. I mean, if you look at like, Again, those like ratings. Yeah. I love the NBA personally, oh, yeah, me too, yeah. but like the Pro Bowl will like outrate <laughs> like playoff games and other sports. Yeah. You know, it's just it's crazy. I mean, it's 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 just riveting. I mean, it's yeah. it's the perfect blend of being like simple but complicated. Mm-hmm. The drama is unrivaled. The uh, physicality of it. There's nothing like it that yeah. in, you know, modern entertainment is just so damn entertaining. Yeah. And then, then once again, I'll bring this up, you know, baseball was the king, you know, for a long time. Had, baseball had a good yeah. like hundred year run, <laughs> a pretty good century. Uh, yeah. 1880 to say 1980, it was, it was like untouchable, you know, 
And, uh, and then it, I think it just got too slow for people. They just football had way too much drama, uh, for baseball to compete with. Well, that would be the one thing I would say the slow slowness. Cause like, I think football is so dramatic and so entertaining, but when you look at, um, youth viewing habits, you know, I do think that's where football actually faces legitimate competition from like TikTok. <laughs> like th- that would be the real competition amongst the next right. generation. Or video is, games, right? Um, video games, mm-hmm. yeah, just different ways of consuming entertainment. Uh, I don't think it's an existential threat to the game, you know, because it's right. still like a tremendous large large viewer base amongst young people. But that would be the biggest factor, I think. Yeah, and anytime there's an economic uh, opportunity, you'll get kids from disadvantaged backgrounds. So that's their way out, you know, especially if they're talented. And that's, that's always going to be the case, which is why even, uh, when you see like in basketball, all the players coming from Europe, you know, especially Eastern Europe, that is their way out. Just like kids from, you know, from the ghetto and urban areas where it's like, you know, basketball is like the easiest sport, you know, to participate in when you don't have any money. And to get noticed if you have some talent. Well, that's an extra layer of complication to what we were talking about earlier, right? With football, especially as um, I would say when you see fewer upper middle class kids playing the game, suddenly becomes a violent game played by people from the lower class for the broader entertainment of everyone in a way like that, that is something profoundly uncomfortable about that. Mm-hmm. A little Roman gladiator, like, um, yeah. what do you think fair. of college players not playing in bowl games now sometimes for fear of getting hurt? I mean, some of that is a bit cynical monetary decisions. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you want them to play, you should pay them to play. Uh, it's, I mean, obviously the, 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 landscape's changing really quickly with name image likeness. So there are ways oh, to yeah. get some money into the hands of players now, right. which is great. I think that's um, awesome. Yeah. I'm a big yeah, fan of that. But yeah. yeah. If you know, I mean, we've seen over the years examples of players who are draft prospects getting hurt in bowl games. And all it takes is one or two examples to make me think if, if it was my kid and you know, he was a star wanting to be drafted by the NFL. I mean, I, you know, uh, Coaches will say, well, you know, sometimes these guys do still have something to prove. And I think in that can mm-hmm. factor into it as well. But I don't really see, I completely empathize with people not wanting to take on risk right before their chance of finally getting paid for their labor. Yeah, I'm not quite on that side. Because to me, sometimes the most memorable thing a person does in college is in those bowl games. Like those, that's the thing, that's true. especially yeah. for the average person who hasn't been following them and they watch those bowl games, you know. And, and sometimes that's the thing that makes you a star in the pros is is the thing that you did. You know, Reggie Bush had the career he had. You know, it could have, I I thought it was going to be bigger. But the, the bowl game that they lost, actually, to yeah. Texas, you know, where he was ridiculous. I mean, I, he's, those Wendy's commercials are still playing off of those <laughs> those games that he played in college. Not the good games that he played in the pros, that's for sure. You can look at a guy like Bryce Young, who might very well be the first quarterback taken in the draft this year. Mm-hmm. He, you know, was excellent in his bowl game and you could say maybe it w- Alabama too is a little bit different. Like it, players yeah. are more likely to kind of finish things out for sure. various reasons, but you might say, you know, that could change the mind of yeah. the first overall team Houston, you know, they're deciding between him and someone else. I yeah. don't know. Maybe it was that performance, 
but he also could have broken his leg. So I, you know, I, I think it's really just up to the player and, also, you hope that they're getting the best possible advice about their draft status and whether mm-hmm. or not it's necessary for them to show a little bit more. Yeah. See, for me, I wouldn't even want to put that mojo out there that you might get injured because that could happen in any game. You know, to me, it's the upside is better. You know, go out and just ball out. This is your stage to ball out, you know, make it be undeniable and get that bucket filled of ducats right now. <laughs> Man, it's, it's an unpredictable game though. I but it always you. is. It's never not going to be. Every game is yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. But the more you play, the more likely it is. I'm like, sit out the game right? before, but don't sit out the biggest game. Well, that's yeah. <laughs> going to be the real thing is like when right. some player has proved enough by the time he's a junior or whatever. And is like, yeah. I'm not going to play the season. I'm just going to train, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine. I would never, to me, it's like, how can you be competitive and do that? It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I think a lot of NFL teams probably share that thinking, which is what would deter a player from actually yeah. doing that, you know? Right. You know, um, that whole romanticism of, I would play for free. You know, I get paid to practice or whatever, you know. Um, NBA prospects, you know, it's one and done soon. Soon that'll be over. I mean, there's no reason for a lot of them to play in college. It barely moves the needle for them. Do you feel differently about them? No, absolutely. Because it's getting harder and harder to tell a good prospect in the NBA because of one and done and going from high school and players who really shouldn't be leaving from high school going to the pros. Their bodies aren't ready. Their fundamentals aren't as solid as they should be. I thought Lonzo Ball, as good as he is, should have played another year in college. There were his his body was still going through some changes. That's why he's having all those knee problems. He had them right away. And he would have just been a more solid player. There's just because some players did that in the past, not everybody's Kobe, Kevin Garnett, you know, LeBron, yeah. not everybody's like that. It's a small minority that should be leaving after one or two years, you know, because it's a small group of players too. And I think you'll get to a point with the G league and where potentially you just say, you could just go play professionally and start making money at an early sure. age and, and develop that way, which is very different from football, right? Because in football development and, it literally is, it's, it's like if the minor leagues were just college yeah. baseball, you know, um, it is fundamental. You can't go from being a high school football player no. to playing in the NFL. You have to have, Gotta have a grown years. man's body. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tricky. The other thing is like, it's not that many draft prospects who could even do this. I mean, there are guys, a lot of guys skipping bowl games now, but it's not that many, you know? Right, 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 right. But yeah, but, but even the jump, the, the one and done thing I think is a bit overdone, you know, like it's interesting. If you look at LaMelo Ball, who's, you know, dad is so crazy, of course, um, because of the circumstances, whatever, he ended up playing overseas and all that. That actually worked in his favor. If he had gone right to the pros, you know, who knows what could have happened? You can flame out very easily if your game isn't solid enough, if you're not seasoned. Um, whereas, or you look at somebody like Luca who uh, at a young age was playing with pros. Like he was 15 playing pros and, you know, overseas or whatever. So by the time he got here, when he was 19, he was a seasoned vet. That's crazy. That was the only um, NBA story I ever did for ESPN. I went to Spain to watch Luca play when he was like 18 or 19. Yeah. It was before the draft. Yeah. And um, 
it was, I mean, I was, it was crazy because yeah. he was 18 or 19. He was playing with grown men, yeah. like really grown. And the, and the yeah. early league's good. Like it's, he was on Real Madrid. He's a pretty high quality. There's also like guys you're like, oh, I remember him. He was on like the Rockets, like five years ago. <laughs> you're kind of recognizing, right, but he right. was, he was dominant and, um, it was pretty, I mean, he was, he was like a sure thing as a prospect because of yeah. that, even though I think some te- some teams kind of overthought things with him. Yeah. Uh, Sacramento. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. How did you get your start, meaning? Did you, uh, I was reading, You was sports journalism something that you saw yourself doing or were you on another track? Uh, were you teaching school at one point? Did I run? Oh gosh, poorly in college. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, I was not cut out for that. Uh-huh. Um, I was a business journalist for uh, uh, after college mm-hmm. through 2014. So I mm-hmm. worked for uh, Fortune magazine. I was in the investigative team there, mostly just writing about companies doing bad things, healthcare, mm-hmm. right, healthcare right. fraud. Right. Uh, and then I did the same thing at Bloomberg News, writing for Bloomberg and Business Week. And then ESPN approached me and asked if I wanted to write about sports. So I'd not had any aspirations to do it. It was just my hobby mm-hmm. at the time. Did you have a blog or something at that time? Or? No, but mm-hmm. I did. I wrote a personal essay about football that mm-hmm. someone at ESPN read. And then all of my tweets were just dumb shit about football. So they saw that <laughs> and they were like, all right, you, you have this job where you're doing these like very hardcore business yeah. stories, but you just keep posting memes about the NFL. Maybe, this, you know? Um, so they just, yeah, they, I decided to make the jump. It's interesting just to be plucked like that. That's kind of rare, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I think it speaks to the open-mindedness of the editors to think outside the box. You know, something people always ask me is like, how do we get more new voices in football yeah. or sports? Yeah. How do we make it more diverse? How do we get women? How do we get people of color? And the truth is you have to sometimes, I mean, there, there's a lot of great candidates who are already in the field, but sometimes you also, I think, have to think, okay, well, maybe this person covers a different thing. But like, what if they could do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's what ESPN did. And I'm pretty grateful to them for it. So did you reverse engineer at that point? Did you say, okay, all right, I got to I gotta make sure my football chops or whatever sport, you know, is I got to make sure they're on point. Did you do like a, a deep dive? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I know you're a fan and everything, but did you yeah. go into deep dive mode on things? Or Well, at the time I was a features writer, so mm-hmm. it wasn't really like I didn't 
like what I do now as an analyst is very different, right? It's yeah. my own ideation and analysis. But at the time I was, I was a reporter. So it was kind of the same job really. Like I was okay. a features writer about business and then suddenly they're like, all right, now your first assignment is to go hang out with Darrell Revis. You know, it's like, all right, you know, so yeah, same tools, same reporting, yeah. same feature writing, all of it was kind of similar. Yeah. Some, some little things that you got to learn how to like, you know, be, get access to athletes and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But for the most part, it was pretty similar at first. How do you get access to athletes? <laughs> like, how does that happen? Cause I, I love how you guys are so coy about it too. Well, I have talked to some people. Oh my God. Like Stephen Angel said, I have been told by some people. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. He, uh, yeah, that's different. Um, well, when I was a features writer, it, it, it's, it was not easy at time and it's gotten worse by the way. Really? Oh Dude. my God. Yeah. Because athletes now they have all their own, they have their own media. social media. They don't so, need you. Yeah. Name, yeah. And media, like they make docs and pods and stuff. So I think right. there's less of a feeling like that they need to do the mm. big feature, right? The big cover story. Um, and it was always different for me. It was always like pitching myself, the idea, the angle, being patient, sometimes being, some, a lot of times when I didn't get access, figuring out the story, um, yeah, it wasn't an NBA story at the time. Cause, but I, I, I had been told back when I was a writer that I got, um, access to Zion Williamson when he was at Duke speaking of one mm -hmm. and done speaking of a guy who probably didn't need to play in college. And, um, <laughs> right. so I, that, show up. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Exactly. Well, partly because he was already a huge celebrity too. So there's that too. He didn't even right. need to be in Duke. Obama but, was coming um, to his games. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Oh, right. Um, well, I got to go to his games, but I didn't get to talk to him because I showed up and they were like, yeah, this isn't happening. It was in South Carolina, the NCAA tournament that year. I was like, God damn it. So I called my editors and they're like, well, you're going to have to write something about Zion. Yeah. So I um, figured out that he was from a town not too far from actually where the tournament was happening, Spartanburg, mm -hmm. South Carolina. So I drove there. And, um, just drove around trying to find someone who knew him. And I went to his school and they led me to a retired teacher. They're like, this was his favorite teacher who okay. happened to be home. So <laughs> I pulled up and he was a poetry teacher and it turned out Zion was a beautiful poet in high school. Wow. And so that's what the story ended up being about this teacher selling, telling me these stories about like what a gorgeous poet he was and how much he loved reading poetry. And, wow. but, um, yeah, but it was like born of desperation because again, with athletes, it's, you just never know right now. They can be cagey too. Uh, do you, oh, yeah. have you ever had to like chum up with their friends or family or that type of thing to try to get to athletes? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, the stories I could tell you about, like the things I had to do to get in the room yes, tell. or convince. <laughs> Give us a good um, one. Give us a good one, Mina. Come on. Well, even Luca, I was having trouble spending time with him doing mm -hmm. this story. Um, he was like a teenager. Right. So at a certain point I was just like, fuck it. So he was leaving Real Madrid, getting to his like bright blue Porsche Panamera and I was like, I need a ride. He was like, what? And I just like got into the car. I was like, great. You can take me all the way to Madrid. So I got to spend an hour with him nice. in his Porsche, just asking him questions. And you just, yeah, whatever well, it takes. What kind of a kid was he at that point? Was he, how, how was his English pretty good or? 
Yeah, it was. I thought it was pretty impressive. I mean, he would like pretend that it was, but he it was because he knew um, he he knew he was on his way to America. <laughs> well, and, but like you said, he had been trained for this his whole life. Exactly. Right? I mean, we're talking thirteen years old, exactly. leaving home, yeah. playing. You know, being being like an adult. But in some ways, he was very much a kid. I mean, he had only been to America once, I mm. think, or maybe a couple, to train in California. Um, we went to his favorite restaurant in Madrid, which was the Hard Rock Cafe. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Madrid Hooters. <laughs> Similar, right? He, right? I remember he ordered two helpings of nachos. Um, of course, yeah. He, he was, you know, he was excited because it was like the next phase of his life. I think he was a little bit scared. Yeah. Um, in some ways, very adult. In some ways, very much like a teenage boy. Asking yeah. me a lot of like kind of, you know, doofy questions about the States and... It's cool. It's been cool to watch him play. Um, it's been really fun. Yeah, that would have been special. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Dominic Foxworth earlier. I was reading a quote that he said about you. I know you guys are good friends. He said, uh, "People don't expect a tiny Asian woman to be talking about D-line stunts." You know, <laughs> of you know, was were you treated like an alien at first when you were on the scene? Like people not know how to take you. Like who's this woman coming in? Who's this small Korean girl trying to tell me about football? What does she know about football? Well, you know, when I first started doing more commentary on ESPN as mm-hmm. a post, I mean, well, I would say this being a reporter, it really works to your advantage because mm-hmm. you're just memorable. Like, most, you know, I think you would just, I would just kind of stand out. So if mm-hmm. I was approaching a coach and saying, Hey, I have a question for you. They were like, all right. <laughs> oh. Curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Who <laughs> sure. I'll talk to you about, yeah. our, you know, <laughs> disguise coverage. Um, but, uh, in terms of like pivoting to being an analyst, it was challenging at first. Um, most of the time when I was asked to talk at ESPN, it would just be about domestic violence, mm. which, you know, I'm, want to talk about, I have a lot of opinions about, but I'd be like, Hey, I also want to talk about like, you know, the Ravens run game or whatever. Um, and so I really came into it through audio. I was, I did podcasting and radio for a while Mm -hmm. doing very kind of X's and O's type stuff. And then, um, kind of got more opportunities to do analysis as the years went on. Yeah. Okay. So let me give me kind of some flowers right now. (laughs) This is my assessment. Cause you know, you know, I work intelligent. I, Part of my job is casting, you know? So that's why I said, when I talked to Tommy, I said, oh, she's a star. You know, well, I said that mainly. I'll just give you some flowers right now. Here's what I think. I think you have like the best combination of fan zeal, um, journo cred, right? Coaching analytics, but also barbershop swagger. Like you, <laughs> you're able that's to cover. That's about me. No, but you do. I've seen that swagger come out. In fact, one of my favorite Mina moments, this isn't quite swagger, but this like, this was a, a moment that I think the people around you didn't know how to react. It was uh, during uh, the draft. Do you remember this a few years ago? There's a video of you reacting okay. to the, to the draft. It's, it's my favorite thing. And you're just when Seattle got DK Metcalf. Yes, yes. Oh my God. And you're just, you're just calm listening, you know, you know, the guys are just seeing you and here's the dynamic. Here's what you guys have to imagine. Okay. Little petite, you know, Mina just there. Nobody's expecting anything. She's just giving her two cents or whatever. And as soon as it's announced, you see this monster, like this eight foot monster come out going, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And it was amazing. It was an amazing (laughs) moment. It was like this transformation. Like that to me, it's like that. I said right there. That's what I'm talking about. Like that's the fan right there coming out, you know? Well, I just think 
people, you know, we really pride ourselves, especially on NFL Live, like really digging into the football side of it and being smart sure. and educating, whatever. But I also think sometimes this gets lost. Like people really love football to go back to our being in our conversation. Yeah. And they really just want to watch people who also seem to really love it and also seem to sure. really get, uh, and I think that can kind of get, there's such a desire in sports television to be like, who's right? Who I was right. right. I predicted this. I did it. Exactly. It's like, well, okay. Well, who's excited? <laughs> like, I don't know. I think that's kind of fun. Who asked you guys to compete is my question. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, we, nobody said you had to compete to be right. You know? Well, I yeah. think one of the things that's re- I've really been, first of all, thank you so much for what you said. It was really nice. Oh, um, of course. Yeah. But I think you, someone who knows a lot about television knows also the importance of other people selling you. Yes. And I, and I think what I've been really, really lucky to be around is a lot of former players who have mm. almost bought into me and like mm-hmm. decided to sell me. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate shows. I sometimes joke that our show is about like enthusiastically agreeing with each other and asking yeah. questions. I think that which works I think, though. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I kind of, I, I like watching people on TV who seem to really like and support each other. Absolutely. But that's been more important for my career than most, I think, because, you know, otherwise I, I don't have the same built in credibility as some of my peers. Sure. Yeah. I think your show, NFL Live, to me, it just works and it has it has legs because of the format, too. Um, you know, I love Stephen A, you know, and his show and everything. I do get tired of the the performative aspect of it many times, you know, where, you know, I get the barbershop notion of that, you know, but after a while it's like, okay, nobody's, why are you, why are you competing on this? Just, just tell me what you think, you know, yeah. uh, NFL live is very enjoyable because you guys are both smart and entertaining and it does look like you're having fun. Love Laura Rutledge and Swagoo and Dan, all you guys. It's such a, if you guys haven't been watching that show and you are NFL fans, it is very, very watchable. You can drop in at any time and, and just and also, you know, as you were saying earlier, how, you know, betting is taken over and all that. You get really good takes on, you know, and insights into it's like, wait, wait, mm, I picked this team. I don't know if I want to pick that team anymore. <laughs> well, I didn't know I, about that. Yeah, yeah. I really <laughs> feel like football fans are much smarter than they used to be about yeah, the game I agree with and that. the cap and Absolutely. stuff. So like, let's probably because of, of fantasy, they have to be smarter totally. about it. Exactly. Yes. Right. And I'm, and I feel like let's honor that intelligence by not saying, well, this team just wants it more or exactly. You know, he's, exactly. he's got five rings and he's <laughs> right. got one. Like we trust our viewers to like know the difference between I don't know, cover six. And, well, maybe that's a little, yeah, but, you know, no, like, what, yeah. You but know, you, you I, educate I think, us like, if we don't know also though. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think there's a real desire amongst people for like a little bit more granular football talk than there's been. Yeah. I think when it's put into that entertaining mode, it really is, you know? Um, and then the, the flip side of that um, in the Mina Kimes universe is, I mean, you get so many trolls online. It's fascinating to me. Like, what is up with that? Why, why do people come at you? Not, not everybody, of course, but people that, (laughs) well, I want to hear from, from you, you know, um, I have my opinions on it. Absolutely. Um, it's ridiculous, but, um, has that always been the case since you've been doing this or? No, it wasn't. But when I was a reporter, not really. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really just. Once you started giving an opinion. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Nice. Once I became Very an nice. opinionator. Yeah. Yes. Then it's, that's when it started for me. I, I guess I want to say first, it's, um, I get 
reactions extreme, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I, I don't want to sort of seem like I'm in a perpetual state of being under siege by negativity. No, I of also course get not. like, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and sure. but also I think there's just some kind of like what I was saying about how coaches are just more likely to remember you. That's the nice version of the phenomena you're talking about it, which is you just kind of stand out more sure. when you're mm-hmm. a little different, when you're not, uh, you know, a player or whatever. You know, I, I think there's a million reasons why certain football fans or sports fans in general, my presence in these spaces bothers them. We could talk about it for a long time, but, um, something I always try to remember. So, you know, people ask me like, how do you deal with it? Is Mm -hmm. it's just not about me. (laughs) And I, (laughs) you know, I, I just, I always tell that to young, to women in our space, like, and, Mm -hmm. or any sort of, minority it's not about you especially when it's this level of vitriol or when it's something about your identity rather than what you're saying or whatever mm-hmm. it's it's it has nothing to do with you yeah that's good advice yeah, have you have you had a lot of uh young ladies or young girls reach out or people from the even the uh korean community who see yeah. you as hey go on girl go do that <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i um I, you know, I put up a Korean flag on my backdrop a couple years ago and I've mm-hmm. gotten maybe more feedback on that from just Asians in our space or Asians who are aspiring to be Representation is, is huge. People take it for granted. You know, when people, when yeah. you're not normally in spaces and someone is, you think, yeah, this is cool. But to people watch it, they go, yes. Yeah. It didn't even, I didn't even think about it when I put it up. Right. Yeah. I also have a pavement poster, which I guess is sort of indie rock representation. That tends to be more like white guys in their forties though, that hit me up about that. But, um, yeah, I, I do get asked a lot about, and then, you know, I think, um, I get asked a lot about just kind of establishing credibility, navigating mm-hmm. the space. But the m- number one thing I get asked about is what we're talking about, which is how do you deal with the backlash? Mm-hmm. Sometimes not well, man. Like sometimes I I, it, it bothers, sometimes it gets to me, it can ruin my whole day. And mm-hmm. I hate that. You get I triggered? Wish, do, do you ever, I mean, I don't know. Do you ever see a comment that bothers oh, yeah. you? Oh, when I first started uh, my show on Comedy Central, before it even aired, someone said, uh, treated a Larry Romero, I hope you and your shit show uh, fail or something like that. I'm like, my shit show hasn't even premiered yet. You know, <laughs> give it a chance to be a shit show first, you know, but I couldn't. I just didn't understand why someone would take the time to say something so horrible. And I got a lot of, I mean, I got horrible, horrible stuff, you know, as well as things like death threats and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I got so much positive stuff. I'll say this on the positive side, almost every day online somewhere. And I, I've never experienced anything like this since the day my show went down. Cause we were canceled right before Trump was elected and people were really mad at comedy central, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, someone online says, Larry Wilmore, bring, please come back. We want your show back. It's crazy. I had to show my kids once I go, God, this is crazy. I could almost any day of the year and somebody's saying that. I've never had that type of affection for that type of thing. It's really amazing. It's good that you, um, taken the positive too. Oh, absolutely. I feel like sometimes I yeah. feel, I have like a, just like a thing in my brain that filters out all the nice stuff and only catches like the, like 
guy who just just happened today. Some guy tweeted me five times about how he hates the way my mouth looks. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I, I've done a better job of, I I think if I'm being honest, it doesn't, sometimes it does bother me personally, but most part it's just kind of cosmically depressing. It's like, damn, there are all these people like walking around in the world. They're so mad. I know. And I know it's, I mean, they're mad at something else. Um, I learned not to engage with them though. And that's my problem. I don't understand. Yeah. Here's, here's my, uh, here's my um, advice for you on that. (laughs) Okay. Just think about this right before you engage with them or about to, when you're about to send something off, click on their profile and you'll see that they have like two followers. Okay. So no, in many times, unless they're on a thread, because many times they're just tweeting at you, you know, if they're in a thread, it's different. But when they're tweeting at you, remember, you are the only person reading that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and when you I answer know. them, you are now letting thousands, thousands and thousands of people uh, I know. read that stuff. So I thought, well, I'm not going to amplify these people. Yeah. What if, however, you have a really funny joke to make at their expense? Then you should always make a funny joke at their expense. That's the that's, funny joke. Like, don't don't do it. Don't no, do it. No, if don't it's a funny it. joke, go ahead and slam them. That I advise you to do because, <laughs> as you know, I'm a comedy writer. Funny jokes must always take precedence over everything in life. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then I just sometimes I can't resist it. But you're right. Whenever you go to the timeline, it's always like you know. Like the first tweet's always like, where's Hunter Biden's laptop? And I'm like, (laughs) where am I? Stumbled into this alley. Yes, exactly. She's probably on that laptop. (laughs) There's somewhere. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's, this is the, one of the, I don't think it's overstating it to say this is one of the great problems of our times, which is how do we navigate? Not just us, anyone. It's like not, not healthy. Well, it used to be people just yelled at their TV and maybe their neighbor heard it, you know, now, or like a letter. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now with Twitter and everything, you know, everybody gets to hear that yelling. So, you yeah. know, so it, it amplifies the importance of their yelling, unfortunately. Emails uh, are worse. I'm sure you've got a lot of horrible emails because it feels more like invasive. I don't really get emails. Well, I think, yeah, I've got some, but uh, 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 do you get many emails? Like, emails seem so formal to me. Like, it's even, it seems like it would be even worse. Older people who are mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what is the typical email would say like dear dearest mina <laughs> yeah you just like dear miss kimes i had the misfortune of turning on around the horn today in my you know home my domicile and i saw your stupid ass face making a stupid ass comment even though you have zero qualifications something like that yeah i don't know it's always that voice in my head yeah yeah they're always lecturing you too i, uh, I was there. yeah who do yeah. you think you are to say such a thing? As a guy who um, emailed me once and then I uh, kind of aired him out and then I put, sent it to spam and then I checked my spam folder and he'd emailed me like every day since then. I had no idea. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's just in the spam. Yeah. That's yeah. so funny. No, thank God. You know, maybe they don't have my email address. Oh. Um, I saw um, some people have mentioned, boy, Mina B. 
she's probably going to get picked by some team being like in a GM job or that type of thing. Something like that ever interests you to think? Is that something you would want to do? Gosh, I, well, I think I'm not qualified for that, but, um, who, who really is meaning who really is. <laughs> I can name some good candidates, but you know, I, we have it. I have it so easy now, yeah. um, to not be the woman in the arena, but to get to just express my opinions on television. And I also just love setting aside the ease of what we do or relative ease compared to actually making the calls. Mm-hmm. I just love communicating yeah. things to people. I mean, that's yeah. kind of, you know, as used to be as a writer, but now as like someone on TV, I just love like reading, thinking, watching, and then figuring out, okay, how am I going to convey this in a way that mm-hmm. is different? So I would be sad to give that up. Yeah. Some of it you're writing in real time, which is kind of fun too, you know, crafting something. In your brain. Yeah. It's like the same, yeah. it's like, you know, like writing a little mini column. Yeah, exactly. Do you like calling games, like live games too? Because you've done some of that also, right? It's very fun. I'm Mm -hmm. very inexperienced at it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's fun because it's like the closest, it's that like intense, oh my God, this is happening right here. You know, this is, Mm -hmm. you know, I do live television, but in a studio, it's very different. There's just Mm -hmm. more rules and everything's a little bit more tightly regulated. It feels like there's more Um, pressure in calling a game also. More pressure, mm-hmm. more fear that you'll say something dumb, mm-hmm. more space, more difficulty. I've yeah. been really lucky to have gotten to work with some really terrific mm-hmm. Nate Burleson, mm-hmm. um, Akib Talib, uh, Andrew Siciliano, who's the Red Zone host, is the best. Yeah. Andrew Whitworth, most recently, former Ram. So yeah, he's awesome. That's been a really fun experience. Yeah. Do you, see, do you want to do more of that type of thing also? I don't think so. To be mm-hmm. honest, yeah. I, I kind of like where I'm at right now. I really love being in studio and being part of a team. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we'll see. What about the Mina Kime show? <laughs> Featuring Lenny. <laughs> no, no, no. But do you see yourself having your own show like on ESPN or that type of thing? Is that you what, know, uh, I, I, again, it would have to be part of a team. I just, I'm not a solo act, I think. Like you mentioned Dominique working with him has been one of the most fruitful, fruitful, pardon me, experiences of my career Um, over the course of several years now on multiple platforms. I just, that feeling you get Mm -hmm. when you're talking to someone, a podcast or TV, and it's kind of like you're in a band riffing and suddenly you're making a song and you realize, oh my God, this is a hit. I -hmm. love that feeling. I don't know. And I kind of chase it all the time when I'm working with people, they get the best out of you. You get the best out of them, the jokes, the inside jokes. I would miss that a lot if it was just me. Did you see the uh, special get back about the Beatles last year that was on uh, Disney plus? No, I heard it was excellent though. There's this great moment. I'm a big Beatles fan. So there's this great moment where, you know, the Beatles are, they're supposed to do this special, like, in, of just 10 days of practice. They're in this big, airy, cold studio in Twickenham. You know, everybody's kind of bored of each other at this point in their careers. You know, John was usually spaced out somewhere. And John is late that day. And, you know, George and Paul were kind of 
you know, fighting. And Paul's just, he's just noodling on his guitar and George is just there. He's like, you see George go, eh, he's just, <laughs> he's just yawning. As Paul's there and Ringo's just sitting there and you just hear like the first hints of get back. You just hear the hints of it. And he's just, he just keeps doing it and just, and then it just, there's more and more. And then you just see them looking at him mm. just, it's getting a little different. Get back to Juju was a man. And it starts coming out. You're going, oh, fuck. He's writing Get Back. Like, he didn't know he was writing that's that. so cool. And then George kind of changes and say, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And they start, they realizing, they you see them start to realize this is going to be the next hit song. It was so fascinating just to see that process. You know, there's, and, you know, that's what. Live television can be that way, too, where you, when you're in the middle of something, especially with no net, you know, and to feel like, yeah. you know, oh, this is this. We're actually in good territory right here. And just with someone else who recognizes that and you can yeah. see them recognize it and you're feeding off each other. I mean, I, I'm like the Ringo of NFL Live I think, pretty safely, <laughs> but I'm happy to be Ringo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ringo's okay. awesome. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. All right. Mita, thanks so much for being here on the show. Really appreciate it. I have two more questions for you. You know, my Rams, your Seahawks, <laughs> um, people tried to clown us this year, you know, especially they tried to clown my Rams. And I go, oh, are you talking about the reigning Super Bowl champs? Please finish your sentence now. You know, so that's how I always start my retorts. Um, are we going to be better next year? Please let us know. Ram well, Yes. Uh, definitively. I can say yes. Cause you can't be worse than where you were. I right. mean, I, it's every year, the football outsiders website, like they put together kind of a, this thing called adjusted games loss, looking at the scope of injuries and the importance of players. I have to think the Rams are going to like break records this year. I mean, just absolutely. And it started from the beginning, even when Matthew Stafford was playing the offensive line, just yeah. guys dropping like it flies. Terrible. It was impossible to call a functional offense. So I don't think it can be worse. I am very curious to see how Stafford uh, looks coming back from injury. Yeah, Obviously too. everyone just kind of got shut down because there's no reason in Cooper cup and Aaron Donald playing, but don't this play is a, yeah. it's a, it's the Rams went about building the roster in a very unique way. Um, it's a very like top heavy roster as mm -hmm. you know. And so they do need some of their younger players to kind of step up. So I think it was mm -hmm. a good year for, some of those guys to get experience. Yeah, I think so too. Seahawks, Gino, oh, you like Gino? I, I like Gino. Mm -hmm. I'm very pro Gino. I, yeah. I think Seattle should extend him. Um, we have very high draft picks, so there's going to be a lot of debate about what to do with that. I think they yeah. should get one of the star defensive linemen from college. But um, I've been a huge, I've, it's one of my favorite stories in football is, I mean, what a crazy story, right? For a guy yeah. to be a backup that long and then suddenly in. And by all accounts, like super well liked in the locker room and yeah. awesome dude. So I'm I'm a big Gino supporter. Yeah, he's very likable. Um, Pete Carroll gets a lot of guff, but I like Pete Carroll. I like he seems like a player's coach to me. You know, they like um, him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've only met players who have enjoyed playing for him. So. Final thing: any advice for young girls or boys who you know they want to be they want to be Mina? <laughs> they want to be Mina. What are you going to tell um, them? Yeah. You know, I think the expertise kind of has to come first. Um, you know, a lot of time people get asked me like, well, how do I be a television analyst, talk about football on TV? Mm -hmm. And obviously one path is playing in the NFL. Uh, but the other is to really <laughs> pick a lane and become like an yeah, First play in the NFL. Play for the NFL, okay, yeah. second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, you know, I think um, I always felt 
insecure about my role as a commentator being mm -hmm. like, well, I didn't have this experience to drop back on, but you know, my friends would say, well, you know, you're not on there because you're a former player. You're on there because you spent a lot of time learning about football analytics or, mm -hmm. um, roster construction or things like that. And I think, you know, spending all of your waking hours becoming not, a, I, mean, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but something of an expert on mm -hmm. something has to come before you talk about it. <laughs> that makes sense. Which oh, I feel like seems like should be obvious, but these days, I don't know if that's so obvious to everybody. Um, you know, I didn't go on TV until I was a journalist for yeah. uh, 10 years and I'm really grateful for those years. Yeah. Some people think it's the, the, the horse before the cart type of thing. I, people say, Larry, I have a for a TV show, you know, and blah, blah, blah. I go, well, what do you know about writing? What? I don't know anything, about <laughs> <laughs> you know? but they, they want to start. I said, well, creating a show is starting at the top. That's what the most important yeah. people do. Like getting a job on a show would be where do you want to start. But if you don't even know anything about writing, the thing that you say you want to do, like, when, have you read any writing books or taken any classes? No, but I think I can do it. <laughs> I'm like, well, I wouldn't want a surgeon to come to me with that type of thing. You know? Gosh, are we? Dude, was that? A, are we being very get off our lawn right now? Because no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't mind people just throwing themselves into something, but when they yeah. treat the the knowledge of something as irrelevant, the expertise is irrelevant. I'm like, mm, expertise is not irrelevant. You know, it's it is important. So. Yeah. That's what, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, and you I know agree. what? And yes, stay off of my fucking line. All right. <laughs> that's fair. Mina Kimes, you guys. Yes, stay off of Mina's line, you guys. Uh, especially if Lenny's around. Mina Kimes show with <laughs> Lenny, her doggy. It's a podcast. Listen to it. More importantly, NFL Live every day. She's great, but she's on all the all those ESPN shows. There's like a thousand of them. She does <laughs> so about nine hundred a day. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, Mina, thanks so much, and I, I appreciate your coverage this week too. It's been very sensitive. I know this is a very emotional topic for you, and it, it, you, I think you've really done a great job this week. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mina. Times everybody.